0: Guys, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our Scripture reading for the sermon this morning. And we are in the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Today we're going to look at just two verses in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12. We're going to look together at verses 1 and 2. And I invite you to please stand with me as we... Sing together, sing, as we read together. We could sing it. It's short. You want to try chanting? No, we're not Lutheran. We're not going to. Sorry, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is God's holy word for us as people. Therefore... despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, we pray that you would truly speak to us from your word, that you would stand forth, open your mouth, and speak these words with new and living power into our own lives, into our own hearts and minds. Write your truth from your word upon our hearts today. And may we go from this place with hearts a little more full with the flame of faith, ready to run the race that is set before us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when Sarah and I joined Overbrook Presbyterian in South Carolina, which is the church we came from when we came here, when we joined that church, we were put on the church email list. And one day, not long after joining, we got an email with the nursery schedule on it. And I thought, that's an odd email for me to get. I just joined the church. I said, "Let me look at this." So, I opened up the Word document, scrolled down, and sure enough, I'm on there multiple times. And I said, "Excuse me, I didn't volunteer for this. I tried." Listen, listen. When I was uh, a summer intern at my home church, uh, I was home from college. And I was wondering, where do I fit in in ministry? Where is God calling me to? And so the, I was working with the youth pastor as he I was his intern. The secretary called me intern all summer. It was very humiliating. <laughs> she would just yell, intern, I need you to come. Uh, okay, sure. Well, okay, so they're trying to fit me in somewhere. So they say, all right, well, let's let you try youth ministry. You can lead a Bible study. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll preach one Sunday if you're lucky, if you play your cards right. And maybe, you know, we'll let you try with the kids' ministry. And I'm like, okay, well, put me in. I'm ready. Coach, put me in. I can throw strikes. I'm ready to go. And so they stick me in kids' ministry one night. And so I'm there, and, and I, have, I, I have, like, I have this whole lesson written out, this beautiful, gorgeous, college-level, life-changing lesson for these small, little children, and it was an absolute nightmare, absolute nightmare. The, 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 the uh, Sunday school, the children's pastor wasn't there, and so I, it was just me. And the kids came in and they said, Where's, uh, where's Miss Kelsey? And I said, um, it's, She's not here, it's me tonight. And these two little girls screamed at the top of their voice at me and ran down the hall and outside left. <laughs> I said, I'm responsible for them, how can I get them back? I can't leave the 99 and go get the one. <laughs> Because if I leave and I come back, the ninety nine will be gone. And so what I ended up doing was dumping out a bag of candy on the floor and just saying, if you'll stay in this room and and not yell, you can fight each other for this candy. I don't care. And I just refereed a wrestling match for candy. And in the background, I'm slowly tearing my lesson. Shh. Okay? And I told the, the children's pastor when, we, when she got back, I said, Kelsey, I admire you for what you do because I understand now that you have to be burning bush called to be a children's pastor. Okay. So I get this email. And all I can think of is the, is the little girl screaming and running outside. I, I, I'm having these horrific, uh, you know, flashbacks. And so I, I think this has got to be a mistake, right, Sarah? We didn't, we didn't volunteer for this. And she goes, I do high school, kids. I, I like high schoolers. I don't want the little kids. There's a reason I don't teach elementary school. So we were in agreement. This is a big mistake. <laughs> well, we get to church the next Sunday, and the pastor addresses the email that was sent out from the pulpit during, during announcements. Right? And, then, of course, it was, the, it was the full schedule for the season, so everybody's name was on, everybody, not just me. And so he, sa- he says for the pulpit, he says, I'll bet you didn't know that when you joined this church, you signed up for nursery. And I said, this crooked car salesman, this dirty, they can't trust these Presbyterians. You can't trust them. And so that, I didn't have a choice. It was like, if you're a member, you're automatically a nursery worker. And there's a and because, and since all of you are on it, you only have to do it three or four times, and and you'll be fine. It'll be okay. I was like, well, oh, fine, okay. I'll I'll carry this cross. That's fine. And sometimes I think it feels like, sometimes it feels like that for people who become followers of Christ. You didn't know you were signing up for a race. But that's what this text says the Christian life is. Let us run the race. And some of us didn't really know what we were signing up for. And we're like, Jesus, when you said follow me, I thought we were going to (laughs) walk. I thought you meant walk. Jesus, I'm not a runner. (laughs) Um, I was hoping maybe we could start off slow and taper off at the end. Why can't that be the Christian life? Do I really have to run a race? Well, in our passage this morning, scripture says that you and I have entered a great contest. We have entered a great contest. Living the Christian life means running the Christian race. And the race begins the moment you become a Christian. The moment you give your life to Christ and become his follower, the baton is handed off to you... And it's time for you to begin running. Look at the end of verse 1. It says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a race, the Bible says. There is a track, a path that is set before you as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And that race determines the direction that you must go. And it's a long marathon run. It's not a 100-yard dash. Long-distance runners need endurance. You don't, I ran track. I ran the 100-meter sprint, the 200 meters. And that whole, that whole event is based on you summoning every ounce of strength, you have and using it instantly in one burst of speed straight to the finish line I don't need endurance to run those events I just need a lot of takeoff and a lot of power to get a short distance as fast as I can in track but this is something that requires endurance which implies a long haul a long long stretch a marathon not the 100-meter sprint. Long-distance runners need strength and stamina and steady pace to finish the race. And this passage lays out three things that you need to run the Christian race. Now, in, in Greek, in the original Greek of this passage, these two verses, there's really only one main verb in the whole thing and it's a command run let us run let us run is one word in Greek it's a verb that's the one verb of the whole passage and everything else is about that verb everything else about that passage the command is surrounded in Greek by three participles which tell us how we are supposed to run the race that is set before us and reach the prize at the end and the first is this. Listen to the crowd. Listen to the crowd. In sports, the crowd feeds the players with energy and intensity and momentum. Uh, shortly after the NBA Finals concluded this year, I mentioned Steph Curry a few, a few weeks ago. After it was over, some people on ESPN are doing the analysis, and, and one of the guys said, look, I think that the Steph Curry three-pointer is going to go down in NBA history as the most demoralizing thing for an opponent, for an opposing team. Because when they're at home and he hits a three, it's just different than anybody else. It's different than an alley-oop. It's different than some monster dunk. It's just different. When he hits a three, the energy in the building, the the crowd just, it's just a different level. And every player feels it. And the opposing team is just like, good night, he hit another one? I mean, he's hit more threes than anybody in NBA history. And every time he hits one, you just feel like the strength drain out of the opposing team. And he's done this his whole career. And that's just one example. Think of a sport you like to watch. Or think of another situation where there's a crowd watching who gets into what's happening. And you all just sort of get caught up into this feeling that you know there's this energy, there's this intensity, and players feel that momentum. They can just ride that wave of electricity and excitement. And all of a sudden in basketball, they're not, it's like they're not even trying anymore. The plays just come naturally. The passes are crisp. The shots are perfect. The defense is awesome. The other team can't hit the broadside of a barn. And the crowd plays such an important role in sports. And here in this passage, in the same way, the author tells the Christian runner that you have a crowd. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us run. The image here is of a stadium full of onlookers cheering on the Christian runner. Now, notice a couple of things about this part of the verse. Notice that this is not an earthly crowd. This isn't a crowd of people in a literal stadium who's watching you live your life from day to day. Thankfully. This is... A cloud of witnesses this invokes the idea of there's a cloud of witnesses that's sort of looking in and watching and cheering it's a heavenly crowd second thing to notice here is that the crowd is identified for us in chapter 11 the previous chapter notice how verse 1 starts therefore since we have since we are surrounded ...by this crowd of witnesses. And he just spent the whole of chapter 11... ...describing this crowd to you. Chapter 11 is sometimes nicknamed... ...the Hall of Faith... ...instead of the Hall of Fame. And it is a list of the heroes and saints... ...of the Old Testament. And he goes through tons of people. He goes through all the big names... ...and then he concludes by saying... ...look, we don't have time to name them all... ...but there are countless people... In the Old Testament and in the history of God's people who compose this crowd. And listen, look at the very end of chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So all these guys finished their race... They all ran this race before us. They finished, but we haven't given out the prizes yet. They're waiting for the ceremony, the reward ceremony at the end when the medals and prizes get handed out. They're waiting for you to reach the finish line too. And at the end of days, after the final judgment, when God's people are finally and fully rewarded, crowned, glorified, all the rest, that... Is when the medals are handed out. But they've already finished their race and they're now they're in the crowd. And they are these, they make up this cloud of witnesses. Now, one more thing to say about these witnesses. Sometimes we get hung up on this word witness as though they're they're all literally in heaven with their binoculars. And they're watching you run the Christian race, like literally like trying to watch you attempt not to cuss in traffic, like that 's what they're doing you know and and we get thrown off by this word witness, but it's not like someone who's it doesn't mean spectator, like the image is of a crowd, but it doesn't mean they're spectators literally watching us that the people that like our loved ones in heaven who are like literally seeing and watching us day to day. That's not what it's talking about. A witness here is like a witness in court. It's someone who gives a testimony, someone who bears witness in court. And what we're given is their example. Their lives are a testimony to what this race looks like and how we make it to the end. They are a witness, an example a testimony of how they ran their race and how we should run ours too. And what we're told to do is to look at that crowd and draw energy for our own race. These champion runners of the Old Testament who finished their race through much endurance are here to cheer you on, to encourage you to keep going, Keep enduring. Look at these encouraging examples, the Bible says. And find others in your own life or in church history. Now, this author is saying, look at these heroes of the faith. But think about your life. Think about the heroes in the faith that you've seen. Maybe when you were a kid or people you've known in your own life. Or people you've heard about or a great missionary you read about in a biography. Think about the heroes of the faith. They're in the crowd too. And we can watch them doing it and think that's not because they're so special. I'm called to run too. I can run like that. I can get up and go just the same. We are, we are to have heroes in the faith. And we are to draw strength from their example And one more thing I'll say about this. While you are running your race, recognize that you're also in the crowd of somebody else's race. You're part of the crowd of your neighbor's race. And our brothers and sisters ought to be able to look at us running in the lane next to them and draw encouragement. When one one person is just gasping from the the run and is about to just sit down and stop, someone else who's running swiftly can double back, pick them up, and carry them forward. You can do that for one another. You can be part of that encouraging, electrifying, energy-giving crowd for one another. Don't imagine that the race is being run all by yourself and there's no one else around. No, we're all running together. Now, look at verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, next, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, the ESV translates it, the same way they do the main verb, let us run, let us lay aside. But really, it's just laying aside. It's a participle. Having such a great cloud of witnesses, laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run. That's literally how how it reads in Greek. We are to lay aside. This is the second way that we run the Christian race. First, we look at the crowd, and second, we lose the weight. Now, I was criticized for calling this point lose the weight because tomorrow's wing night. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Well, they're not really related, and let me explain. <laughs> I realized after I wrote it, lose the weight sounds like going on a diet, but that's not what the Bible says, so relax. <laughs> Here it says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Runners need to be in good condition. That's true. But the image here is not the physical exercise of the runner. It's about the conditions of running. Here the idea is the runner needs to be as light as possible in their gear and clothing. In other words, you... Imagine trying to run a marathon with weights on your shoulders and your shoes untied. That's what sin is like in the Christian race. Sin is all this extra heavy weight on your shoulders, around your waist, on your back, around your legs, and it's... Your shoe's untied and as you're trying to run, you're you're stepping on the shoestring of the other shoe and they're getting all tangled up and you're stumbling and tripping. And that's what what a runner would look like with all this weight and these shoestrings getting tangled up and tripping over himself. That's what we look like when we try to be Christians, but we don't deal with sin. (laughs) Running the Christian race... We must lay aside the weight and the encumbrance and the entanglement of sin that slows us down and tires us out and trips us up. Running the Christian race depends on you dropping the dead weight of sin. And that's what repentance and sanctification really are. When we repent of our sins, we turn away from them We lay them down and we walk away. We're laying down our sin. We are laying aside the weight, the burden of sin. And we're walking away from it. No, we're running away from it. You're tying your shoes. You're getting rid of all the entanglements. You're getting rid of all the encumbrances so that you can run swiftly and successfully. Repentance and sanctification really comes down to this. Laying aside the burden of sin every day so you can get up and run the next leg of your race. Each day is a new leg of the race. In order to run that race successfully, we have to drop the dead weight of sin. We have to go to battle with sin. We have to shed it off, get it off, remove it, Last week we talked about taking off the old man and putting on the new. That old man is so heavy. Our fallen self is so very heavy. And the new man is made in the image of Christ. And that's what we need to run. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Another image is of of someone who's hanging on to your leg and you're trying to run while you're dragging someone hanging on to your leg. (laughs) Clinging so closely. Take me with you. (laughs) No. Where you're going, sin can't come with you. You have to leave it behind. Look at the crowd. Lose the weight. But then third, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at verse 2. Run the race that is set before us with endurance. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God we look to Jesus because he is our example. And he's our example because he is literally our forerunner. He's already run this race. He is out in front having already finished the race. And he is waiting for you to reach the finish line. Look to Jesus. He is our example. He is called several things in this passage. He is called the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Founder, he's like the pioneer who set out first and he blazed this trail for us. He cleared the path. He made the track. This is his road for you to take. He's the founder and he's the perfecter of our faith. When we look to him, our faith becomes perfect. More and more mature, well-rounded, perfected. The more we look at Him, the more faith. The more we look at Him, the more easy it will be to drop the dead weight of sin. The more we look at Him, the more we will see in Him the one who truly is the founder of my faith. He's the perfecter of my faith. That I believe in God because of Him and Him only. He founded not just the faith, but my faith. And He perfects my faith. I look at Jesus and I realize that He ran His race for the joy that was set before Him, enduring the cross. How did Jesus make it through His race? His race included a cross. How did he finish? How did he endure? How did he get through his race? He looked through the cross, out the other side, and he saw the joy that was set before him. We have a race set before us. He had a cross set before him, but on the other side of his cross and on the other side of whatever your path in this race looks like, there is joy set before you. There is power in joy. Don't think that joy is just simply an emotion, a gust of feeling, a little, just a thing you feel. There certainly is feeling. Joy certainly is an emotion. But joy gives you power. It gives you cross-bearing power. It enables you to endure even crucifixion because of the thing that gives you your joy that's waiting for you on the other side. Jesus endured because of joy. Look to Jesus and draw the strength of His joy in your heart. That's how you will endure each leg of the race. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who endured for the joy that was set before Him, even conquering the cross itself, despising the shame. He did not let embarrassment stand in the way of running the race God called him to run. And we can't be like that either. We cannot allow shame or awkwardness or timidness or embarrassment at being a Christian out loud and in public and in front of people. We can't allow that to hinder us and trip us up. Fear of man Love of praise of other people. Those sorts of things are so tempting to just give in to. But don't do it. Despise the shame. Say, I refuse. I refuse to be encumbered. To be slowed down. To be stopped in my tracks. Because this might be a little awkward to be a Christian today. Or it might get me in a little bit of trouble. Christ endured the cross for the joy set before him, and he despised the shame. The shame of being crucified publicly, hanging there, dying, mocked and scorned, laughed at, naked. He despised the shame. He refused to allow it to slow him down. Look to Jesus. He's cleared the path, he's bore the cross. He's done it all for us. And now He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God where He intercedes for you. So that all that He is and all He has is available for you. It's available for the asking. It's yours for the taking. What do you need to run this leg of the race today, Christian? Ask. He's at the right hand of God for a reason. He's there to intercede and be our mediator for a reason. He's there to take all that God has for you and minister it to you. What you need today to repent of that sin, to be sanctified, to lose the weight of sin, to cast off the encumbrances and the entanglements, to hear and listen to the crowd, to actually have that momentum and strength to run and stride today. And not to just trip and fumble and stumble around and, and then just stop and sit and just be defeated and broken. No, He doesn't want you to be like that. He hasn't called you to that kind of race. He's called you to run. He's called you to strive. He's called you to not just stumble and trip into heaven. but He's called you to stretch forth. And take hold of the eternal life to which he's called you. Look to Jesus. He's not just our example, but he's the source of all that you need. Of all the power that you need. Of all the encouragement that you need. Of all the resources that you need. Listen to the crowd. Lose the weight. Look to Jesus. Take up your cross and run after him. Look at him. Watch him. There's a Puritan who wrote a book called Looking Unto Jesus. And it's 900 pages about what it means to do that. The Puritans were crazy. (laughs) I mean, 900 pages. I've read a fraction of it, but the part I read is excellent. And he makes a statement about this very early in the book, in the first 30 pages or so. He makes a statement about this and he says, "If do you, in your Christian life, do you experience coldness? Is your love for Christ just smoldering and cool? And there's a lack of fervency and there's just sort of a lethargy and you're just tired and it doesn't seem like you have the energy in the fire. He said, come to this altar. Pluck one burning coal from this altar of looking at Jesus and see if you do not burn with his fire. One of the reasons that we don't burn in our run, in our race, is because we're too far away from the fire. When you look to him, you take hold of holy burning coals of fire. And that will light a flame under you. And you will find the zeal to strive and to seek and to find. But it only comes from looking unto Jesus. Look at him, Christian. Look at Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you would truly, truly, Light your fire in our hearts and under our feet once again. That you would encourage us by the examples that have been set and the encouragement from looking at the examples in the scriptures. Would you help us to be that cheering, energizing crowd for one another? Would you help us to support each other? Give us the ears to hear the crowd. Open our eyes as we go to the Scriptures and see the examples of what it looks like to walk with you in faith and obedience. And encourage us. Give us strength from their witness. Lord, help us to put off the weight of sin that so entangles us and weighs us down Our run in this race feels so heavy and burdensome sometimes and it's because we haven't dropped that dead weight. Lord, help us to find the repentance and the renewal so that we, not reluctantly, but gladly, eagerly, lay aside our sins that we flirted with and tried to run with for far too long and give us eyes that only want to look to Jesus, And as we look at Him, as we look at Him as the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who endured even the cross because of the great joy that was promised to Him, the one who did not let embarrassment at being 100% surrendered to you stop Him, the one who is now at the right hand, interceding for us even now, oh, help us to look to Him And may we burn with love and passion for Him so that we are all the more eager to run this race with the endurance that You've called us to run, looking for that joy that Jesus looked for, that joy that only He can give. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.